if you are not feeling at peace or you're feeling like God is calling you down a different path, then listen to that because yes. when we when we don't listen to that, that's a lot of times when we end up reg- with regrets and then healing from different aspects of trauma after the fact when we just slow down, take it to God, I'm Danielle. Welcome to the Birth Journeys podcast. It is my belief that our birth journey has a lasting impact that goes far beyond delivery. It is my hope that through these stories, you would find the insight, tools, and the courage to go on and have your own positive and empowering birth journey. Just as a reminder, any information you hear on this podcast is meant to inform and encourage you on your birth journey and not intended to replace advice from your medical professional. I did meet my my now husband um, about six months later, and we... We just kind of took things really slow. We just started off by just talking on the phone randomly throughout the week. And he met my kids just as another person at the barn where my horse was. And so we would go visit my horse and we would go ride and clean stalls like that. And he would come over because we met. I met him through mutual friends. Um, and then in 2017, in August... Um, my nephew was born and I was the doula for my sister. And then when he was six weeks old, I got a call that he was in the hospital for suspected child abuse. And so fast forward, um, we took him in as a foster baby. So here I am, I have three kids. And then I just met my, my boyfriend per se. Um, he was just my boyfriend at the time. Uh, not even, so we got together like officially like, okay, let's, let's try this in June of 2016. And then in October of 2017, so just over a year later, we're bringing in a fourth baby. (laughs) And so we start raising this fourth baby together. He was um, almost eight weeks old when we brought him home. And, and so here we are, you know, this new blended family of six people and you know you're still learning this new relationship and you have three other older kids and now you have a a foster baby who for a while was was medically complex with a seizure disorder and healing child abuse injuries and things like that so um in 2020 we got married and then we bought our house that we live in now and in may of 2021 we started trying to have our fifth baby um again i got pregnant very quickly and uh he's our little mexican souvenir because we were on vacation in mexico (laughs) and so uh i got pregnant with him and again we were i knew i was going to have another home birth And, um, and so for a while, I didn't know if I wanted to do like an unassisted birth or if I wanted to have a midwife. Um, my friend who was a doula was also a a midwifery student and she was willing to attend our birth as a doula. Um, we did end up hiring a midwife around the time that I was 12 weeks pregnant. No, I wasn't. I was earlier than that. I was like eight weeks pregnant when we interviewed and hired our midwife. Um, and I started to study physiological birth in a deeper sense. Um, and just started learning how to live more holistically. So I had a wonderful pregnancy, normal, perfect, no complications. Um, just, just so grateful to be in that position again, to be experiencing another pregnancy, maybe be preparing for another birth. I did have a lot of anxiety, um, just surrounding loss. 
because I had lost a baby and then I lost a husband. So I, I knew I'm not immune to loss. And so I did have a lot of anxiety to work through throughout my pregnancy. Um, I did consent to an anatomy scan around the time that I was 22 weeks pregnant and the ultrasound tech put in the report that my placenta was overlying my previous C-section scar. So my midwife texted me at nine o'clock at night on a Sunday evening and gave me the results to my ultrasound and said, I'm so sorry for the bad news, but you're going to need a repeat C-section. And I was like, beside myself. I was like, no, <laughs> I am not going to have a repeat C-section. Like, seriously, you're, I'm 22 weeks and you're telling me that I'm indefinitely like going to have to birth in the hospital. Like there's no if and buts. We can't just watch and see. So I started like Googling what it meant to have a C, have a, a placenta overlying your C-section scar. And of course, placenta accreta and increta and percreta and all that came up and the scary statistics behind all of that, needing a hysterectomy immediately after the birth and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like in hysterics. And my husband, I was like, I've worked too hard. I've had two normal physiological births. Well, I guess my hospital birth wasn't exactly physiological, but I've had two VBACs. It's been 11 years since my C-section. Like, it's 9 o'clock at night on a Sunday evening. I'm putting my kids to bed, and you're going to text me this information? So she's like, well, do you still want to meet for your prenatal tomorrow? And I was like, so are you just, like, trying to throw in the towel here? Like, what are, what are we doing? You're just going to drop me? Not, not second opinion this, not nothing? I was like, yeah, of course we're going to meet tomorrow because I think we need to talk about this in person. So I did a bunch of reading that night. Like I literally could not sleep. I was praying. Um, I've always been a believer and I've always had a walk with Christ. And But up until my husband's death, my walk with Christ wasn't very deep. It was very superficial, very much like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for all the gifts that you've given me in my life amen, please forgive me for anything that I might have sinned. You know, it was very superficial, very service level. And then after my husband passed away, I was like, I'm not going to survive this tragedy without something to have hope in. So I, I took my, my entire pregnancy this last time was very much rooted in my faith. And I, took this to prayer and I was just washed over with this insurmountable amount of peace. Um, I just felt like everything was fine. Everything is good. Nothing is wrong. I'm not going to have a C-section. I'm not going to have a hysterectomy. Like everything is fine. So I went into my prenatal the next day with that confidence. I prayed literally the whole time. My husband probably thought I was sleeping in the passenger seat, but I prayed the whole time. And I just sat there. So my, my doula was there. She was also a midwifery student at the time. And then my midwife was there. And I was like, listen, this isn't, I'm not just going to throw the white flag up and say, I surrender, cut me open. Like I've worked too hard to get to where I'm at to just take this one ultrasound at face level and just say, oh, I guess it's all over. I did that for my first birth and look where it got me. It got me with that C-section scar. I'm not gonna do it again. I said, so I don't know, if you need to drop me, drop me, I'll find somebody else, but I, I'm, I'm not gonna take this as the end all be all. So she did say, you know, there is an OB, you know, over about an hour and a half from us who is really, really home birth friendly. She had home births herself. Why don't we schedule an ultrasound with her and, and, and go from there? I was like, okay, well, I, that is, that is an option that I can live with. So, um, needless to say, my trust level in this particular midwife went down a lot. Um, I was very reserved with her and this, but it, Honestly, there's a huge blessing behind it is it just really spiraled me into taking more responsibility and taking more control over my own prenatal care and my own pregnancy and birth um, and, and realizing that I don't need an authority 
a year per se to like oversee my things. Um, so in the end, it had a really good purpose behind all of it. And so fast forward 26 weeks, we drive an hour and a half to get to this um, OB's office by like 9 a.m. And we have our ultrasound. We walk into the office and, and the ultrasound tech was phenomenal. She was amazing. She's like, oh my gosh, this baby looks so good. And yep, there's the placenta. There's a C-section scar. Yep, your cervix looks great. Yep, your baby's cephalic, so head down. Everything looks amazing here. But the OB will, will confirm with you. So we go in, the OB walks in, and, and of course, the, the nurse practitioner, I think that's what she was, was asking us, you know, questions like, do you feel safe at home? And, and you know, just like all the normal intake questions. And she goes, I am so sorry that I'm asking you half of these questions. She goes, there's a reason why people choose home birth. And I think these questions are one of those reasons, because these just feel so invasive. And uh, so like, the whole office was just very, very friendly and supportive and it just it felt like a good place to be for a second opinion um so the ob walks in and she goes you're great she goes your cervix or sorry your placenta is is so cleared away from that c-section scar you are the like you're good you're good go have a wonderful amazing home birth she goes and even it was it was awesome. I just I like I bawled. I, I I wore this shirt that says "Not today, Satan," and I prayed <laughs> all the way to this appointment. And I just broke down in tears. I'm like, thank you so much for being who you are and supporting women who birth outside the system. Thank you for taking me on for this one appointment. Like literally, she's like, I hope I never have to see you again. Wow. <laughs> I was like, me too. So. She ended up talking extensively because before the appointment, she, I guess, had talked to my midwife over the phone and was like, her chances of any, anything being wrong with the placenta are very slim. Um, you know, so she really just breathed some, some confidence into my midwife. Um, and, and that was reassuring, but it still, you know, there was just a lot of rebuilding that I had to do throughout my pregnancy. So I got the results from the ultrasound. I didn't say anything to the midwife. Uh, a couple weeks later, the midwife reached out to me and said, I spoke with um, the OB and, you know, you've, you've been given the all clear and I'm so sorry. Like she profusely apologized, which I greatly appreciate. And I forgive, you know, forgave her and all that. And uh, just kind of moved on with our home birth plans. And so, you know, I I ended up around around the same time. It was really funny how this all happened. I was introduced to, um, I'm going to do a shameless plug for my really good friend, Brooke Collier um, of Sister Birth. She launched her um, faith-based child education or childbirth education program. And I took her workshop called Trust God, Trust Birth. And so I took her workshop and I actually started it that afternoon. And I was mm. so nervous about signing up for this workshop because I'm like, what if my placenta is still lying over the C-section, what if it is placenta accreta and I do have to either have a trial of labor in the hospital or I have to have just a straight, you know, planned C-section, like what if, and how do I trust God in that situation? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so thankfully everything was fine. I got to, I, I started this workshop and I went on to do her embrace birth journey and really immersed myself into the world of undisturbed physiological birth and educating myself on all the things. And so that just all kind of um, spiraled into, again, taking back your power, taking back your autonomy, and not allowing anyone to hold authority over you. Yes, we can have midwives for you know, that sisterhood and the companionship and, and that person to, you know, when you do have questions, like we all need that community, but we don't need 
other people to tell us what we can or cannot do. Mm-hmm. And so getting myself really well educated, I started doing my own prenatal care. So I started taking my blood pressure when I wanted to. I was checking my baby's fundal height myself. I was using a fetoscope to check the heart rate. I was doing all the same things that a midwife does, but I did it at home and I kept track of it. And then I just presented my information to my midwife and was like, here, here's my last, you know, week. Uh, Cause at this, yeah, at this point we started meeting every two weeks. Um, and so I would give her, you know, my last two weeks of, of data essentially. And it just really deepened my walk with Christ and consecrating my decisions unto him and in praying over every single decision before I made it. Mm-hmm. And that has really just overflowed into my motherhood journey as well of just taking a deep breath, not having to react to anything right off the bat, just taking time to absorb it take it to the Lord, pray over it, sleep on it, <laughs> eat on it, and and make your decision from there. But so I went on to my birth. Um, I went into labor at 39 weeks. I was really hoping to make it to my due date this time and my guest date. I am very like, I don't believe in due dates, but I was really hoping to make it to 40 weeks. I'd never made it to 40 weeks before. And I was like, this is going to be the time. I'm going to have a February baby. And my miscarriage baby was due at the end of February. So I was really kind of hoping for like that redemption of, of that birth too. But anyways, he came. We didn't know what he was. I thought he was a girl the whole time, which that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. Um, <laughs> because I've never been wrong for any of my kids. I knew what they were before we ever found out. Um, my first two, we found out at 20 weeks. And then my third, we found out at birth. But I was right for all of them. So I was, pardon my language, I was cocky. Like, we're having a girl. And if anybody said we were having a boy, I was like, how dare you offend my baby? I get so defensive and so mad. And so this whole time we have just a girl name. I'm literally calling this baby by the girl name that we had. And um, so I go into labor at 39 weeks. I was sitting in the bathtub. We had just got done with our schoolwork. My husband was sleeping because my husband works third shift. He's a truck driver. And we, I went upstairs to take a bath. So gave my kids shameless iPad time. And I was like, I'm going to go take a bath. So I am sitting in the bath. I've got a candle going. I've got the lights off. I've got my Epsom salts in there. And I was like, Ooh, that, that was, that was different. Like I normally have Braxton Hicks, but this was like an intense Braxton Hicks with a little bit of period like pain. And I was like, Nope, it's just prodromal labor. It's prodromal labor that, you know, it's just my body's gearing up. I got another week of being pregnant, another week of our routine. Like I just, I was really married to our routine and I wasn't ready to give it up yet. I was like one more week and then I'll be ready to have this baby. So 20 minutes later goes by and I have another one. And I was like, whoa. And I had another one 20 minutes later. So I had four, all of them 20 minutes apart. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting out of the bath. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, this isn't labor. This is prodromal labor. So, um, me in my cohort of embrace birth journey, we had a, we have mother blessings for the women who are close to their birthing day. So that was my turn. It, it was me and another friend. We were both due around the same time. And, So around two o'clock that afternoon, I get on this call with my Embrace Birth Journey cohort sisters and emotional release. (laughs) Like I cried through the whole thing as the ladies just prayed over me and spoke so much truth and peace and love into me. And, you know, it was just, it was beautiful. And I even, you know, I even expressed my concerns. I'm like, what if I'm wrong? What if this baby is a boy and I think it's a girl? And what if I'm wrong? Like, I really feel like God has given me 
this name for this little girl and he gave me scripture for this little girl and he's given me visions of this little girl like what am I going to do with that if this is a boy and one of my friends did share a story with me that she had a very similar situation and one second I have a kid who's interrupting Mm. He's, my five-year-old had to come in and grab a band-aid because we keep all of our band-aids in the camper. So, <laughs> so it was just, you know, I expressed that. And one of the ladies shared a story and I've heard many different stories similar to this of, you know, visions and prayers and dreams and scripture and all this that of this baby. And they, it wasn't that baby that they were currently carrying. Um, And so I just like cried. I was like, no, this baby's a girl. I'm not wrong. And so I go about my day. Contractions are still very inconsistent. Um, I still prayed that it was prodromal labor and that later that night it would just fizzle out, go away, and I'd be pregnant for another week. So I didn't say anything to anybody. My kids didn't know that I was having these mild inconsistent contractions Um, I didn't have, you know, I didn't lose my plug. I didn't have any bloody show. Like none of that was happening. So again, it was like, it's just prodromal labor, you know, it's fine. So I make dinner. My daughter had gymnastics that night. So we leave to take her to gymnastics and, um, contractions definitely amplified. So Mm -hmm. The drive there, I was like, man, these seem like they're coming a lot closer together. They're definitely stronger. And so I'm just crying. I'm crying and crying and crying. I'm like, I don't want this to be labor. I don't want this to be labor, but I think it's labor. And so I texted my midwife. Um, she was my doula. She was the midwife student, but she was she was in third third phase of midwifery school. So she was the May. She was my leading midwife. Um, that's not even the word that I'm looking for either, but <laughs> the primary midwife. Um, so I texted her and let her know. I was like, obviously, I don't need your support right now. I'm just letting you know. I don't know. that I'm, I'm like, will you please pray? Please, please pray that this is prodromal labor. She's like, that's a really weird thing to pray about. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it might be a really weird thing to pray about, but I'm not ready to have this baby. I, I don't want to have this baby till next week. And she's like, okay, well, you know, just go home, get some rest, you know, and, and just keep me updated, essentially. So I alerted her. I alerted my sister-in-law because my sister-in-law was coming to be with my older children. And a friend of mine was coming from two hours away to also be with my older children. And so in case she didn't make it, I wanted to make sure my sister-in-law could be there as soon as I needed somebody to help me with my older kids, more or less my my youngest who was four and a half at the time. Um, and so I let everybody know just to be on standby. I let my birth photographer know because she was like an hour and a half away. So she was going to need like three hours just to get to me. So we sat at gymnastics and I literally cried and I popped in my, my headphones and I put on worship music because I had made this whole worship playlist for labor and I just cried and I timed my contractions and they were five to seven minutes apart. And I'm like, wow. this is, this is labor. And I just cried mm-hmm. and cried and cried. <laughs> I felt so silly, but like, I just couldn't stop it. And I knew that I shouldn't stop it. Like I knew that emotional release had to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So we get back home. It's like 830. I talked to my husband on the phone this whole time and didn't tell him any of this. <laughs> Like he was totally in the dark of me even thinking that I might be in labor because again, I was hoping it was going to stop. Like we, we had arranged for a house cleaner to come in once a week and, and help me with the housework and stuff. And so my house cleaner was coming the next day. So I didn't have my birth tub set up. I had nothing set up because I was, I was dead set. I wasn't going to go into labor until 40 weeks and I wasn't Mm going to have the baby until 40 weeks in one day. I wanted a two, two, 22 baby, right? Like I was, Mm. I was set on that day. So I had none of my birth space set up besides my lights and my birth affirmations and stuff. And 
I was, my plan was to have the house cleaner come in the morning. The house was going to be nice and fresh. And then I would set up the guest bedroom for my friends and my sister-in-law and um, set up my birth space, you know, with my birth tub and all of that. But I got home that night. I got my kids to bed. I continued to labor. I intermittently would time a couple of contractions just to kind of get a handle and see where they were at. The intensities were still very inconsistent. Some were really strong. Some were pretty mild. Some were lasting 30, 45 seconds. Some would last, you know, 60 plus. So it was still very inconsistent, still very much early labor. Um, so I get my kids to bed. I talk to my husband for a while and I get off the phone with him. I was like, I'm just going to go. I, I just need to go to sleep. I'm really, really tired tonight, which I was. It wasn't a lie. <laughs> but I didn't tell him that I was potentially in labor. Um, and then I set up my birth space. Uh, I got my birth tub all set up. And how that didn't wake up my kids is beyond me because nobody, nobody came into my room asking me what the loud noises were. But I got my birth tub all set up and had my birth space like all finalized exactly the way I wanted it and how I envisioned it. And then I took a prayer shower and I just sat on the on the shower floor just praying and crying and and feeling my belly and feeling my baby move around and just connecting with my baby. And um, shortly after I got out of the shower, I laid in bed and they weren't stopping. They were still continuing no matter what I did. And so I. I told my husband, well, I think I'm in labor. <laughs> I said, our friend from up north is, is on is on her way down. And so I knew I would need to tell him anyways, because we have, you know, cameras and in, in, in the middle of the night, she would have showed up at like midnight or a little after and he'd have been like, why is she at the house? What is she doing down here at midnight when my husband, my wife isn't telling me something? So I knew I had to tell him. So I was like, I might be in labor. Our friend's on her way. Um, I've alerted everybody else on our birth team that things are happening, but I'm really hoping that I go to sleep and I wake up tomorrow morning and it's just a false alarm. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that was all over text. And um, so I laid in bed. Again, just lots of prayer. I had like these really beautiful pregnancy prayers um, so like prayers for pregnancy, prayers for the birth, prayers for the baby. So I had like, I think there was like eight of them and I put them in a band, like made a banner out of them and I had them at, mm. at the head of my bed. And so I would sit in the middle of my bed and I would just read them almost every night out loud. And um, so I read them, I laid in bed, the contractions continued. And then about 3.30 in the morning, I'm like, I'm either just going to stay here or I want to go get in the, in the bath. So through a couple more contractions, I laid in bed and I was like, yeah, but I'm going to go get in the bath. I can't sleep mm. through these. So I had my essential oils through my entire house going. I had all my little, you know, twinkle lights and stuff on throughout the house. Like my whole house was just this peaceful, wonderful atmosphere. Um, I was drinking labor aid and uh, mineral water and all that. And I got back into the bath at like 3.30 in the morning and my husband called me because I was like, I sent him a picture of me in the bath. I'm like, well, it's not stopping. No matter what I do, they're getting stronger. They're getting closer together. It's not stopping. And I ended up going right into active labor at that moment um, in the bathtub. And so my husband called me and I talked to him on the phone for a while and about 4.30 in the morning. I had a weird contraction. The baby wiggled around, and this has happened every time just before my water breaks with all of my kids. The baby wiggles really well, and then my water breaks. So that happened again, and I was like, oh, well, huh, we're definitely doing this. This is definitely not going to go away. He's like, what's going on? I said, my water just broke. And he's like, oh all right, well, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to finish the route up and I'm going to get home as soon as I can. Um, so, so I get out of the bath and I called my friend cause she was downstairs sleeping and I was like, well, my water broke. I need your help to start filling up my birth tub. So she comes up and then I alert, I alerted my, my one midwife and my birth photographer and everybody. And I said, time to head over. 
Um, I said, I don't really need everybody's support yet, but I know people need time to get around and get here and probably won't be here until another hour or so. And with my last birth, baby was born an hour after my water broke, or actually a little less than an hour. And so I was kind of like, well, this baby definitely might be here in an hour or it could take longer. I wasn't really sure because I didn't feel like I was in transition yet. Um, I never had my cervix checked by my midwife, but I doing natural family planning since like 2009, (laughs) I knew enough. And so I would do like, I would check effacement essentially. I didn't really check dilation because I really didn't care. Um, but there was definitely changes in my cervix, but I didn't feel like I was anywhere near transition yet. So, um, around between six and six thirty, everybody started arriving and we couldn't figure out the stupid birth tub. I could not get this stinking attachment attached to my shower without leaking everywhere and it was like spraying up towards the ceiling and I was like oh my gosh I'm never gonna get my birth my Mm -hmm. birth tub set up and so my sister-in-law and I are trying my friends trying and I'm trying and then I you know I'm having contractions in between all of this and things definitely felt like they slowed down because suddenly I was just like full of adrenaline and slightly panicking for some odd reason. I don't know why, but anyway, so everybody started to arrive. They took over the whole birth tub thing and was getting, they were getting that filled up and I just returned back to my space. So I listened to Christian hypnobabies throughout my entire pregnancy and my birth. And um, I was like, I really just need some prayer right now. And so I put that on with my headphones and kind of just escaped into my own little world. My midwives arrived, they did some of the, you know, their normal checks. I did have my blood pressure checked and all of that. And then I just let them know, like, I'm panicking for some reason. I'm not really sure why. So if you guys would just please pray for me. And so my one midwife prayed over me. My other midwife, um, you know, recited that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I just got into my own little zone. Um, So I was in active labor for a lot longer than I anticipated. We ended up doing the mile circuit and I laid in bed a lot. And then around, I think it was 8 a.m., they started talking about going and get breakfast. And so asked me if I would like something to eat. And I was like, you know what? I could totally use something to eat. I was like, an omelet sounds really good with some hash browns and I just want a lot of honey. I don't know why, but I'm just really craving honey. So... (laughs) They brought me back this omelet sometime around 9, 9.30 in the morning. And here I, my husband brings me this big tray of food on like a cookie sheet into my bed, gives me this honey. And I'm like just dousing my food in honey. And I took a couple mm-hmm. of bites. And then we're all just sitting there kind of chit-chatting and laughing. And, you know, definitely needed the oxytocin in the room. And then I have like a really intense contraction and I was like and I like lifted myself up off the bed with my hands and moved around and had to breathe through it and then went back to eating and then I had another one so after four I was like I'm done like something transition I knew what it was but it's like every everything just flipped I was mm-hmm. like I need my water now and so I get out of the bed I go to the bathroom we did a quick little Doppler check on baby and I get into the into the birth tub. Um, again, amazing. This time I did not use a hundred gallon horse trough. I used <laughs> um, a birth pool in a box, and um, I really did love it. I loved the space that I had. I loved that it was soft, and I could just move around a lot easier. And so, again, instinctually just moved around as much as I needed, as much as I wanted, in different positions. Um, one of my midwives would do like essential oils on my temple and she would give me like a shoulder massage as needed or wanted. And, um, it was just a good time. And probably, I think I was in transition for about a, maybe an hour before, um, fetal ejection reflex kicked in and I felt just very small pushes and listened to that. And I, again, I, nobody touched me and nobody checked me. Nobody was telling me, you know, 
how to push, how to be, what positions to be in. It was just amazing. Everybody was just flies on the wall like I wanted them to be. Um, at one point, I needed my husband for some grounding. So I asked my husband to come stand by me and I held his hand. And like my favorite moment between putting honey on my food in, in my bed and laughing and then going into transition, that was my favorite moment of my entire birth is just that connection with my husband. And so I start pushing and everybody knew that my, I wanted, I'm, I'm very much a private, quiet birther. I'm not super vocal during my physiological births like I was with my first hospital VBAC. And so I, um, I just, I was just really quiet. And so I was pushing and at one point I was ready for my older kids to be in the room because we had had many discussions about whether or not they wanted to be there. And all four of them said they did. And, but I also knew that I couldn't do the distractions of the kids in and out of my room all the time or questions and people talking and things like that. So they were kept company downstairs and then were brought back up to me when it was time for me to push. And so they all got to witness the baby being born. And that was such a special moment. Um, and yeah, it was awesome. So skin to skin immediately, obviously. And then I was like, I like hid the baby's bottom towards my, my chest. And, um, again, cause I was really anxious about finding out who this baby was. And so I'm looking at the baby and then I went to just adjust the baby's position higher onto my chest when his legs kind of flopped open. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was wrong. It's a boy. And everybody's like, it's a boy. It's a boy. Oh my gosh. I was right. And I was like, I cannot believe I was wrong. So we had a little boy. And honestly, I'm so glad that I didn't find out about him until birth, because I think there would have been that level of disappointment in my birth that might have hindered our connection a little bit for a while. Whereas this time I was just blissfully and peacefully experiencing this pregnancy and just so in love and connected with this baby that it didn't, our connection never skipped a beat. So I had this baby, I was in shock for several weeks, but I just could not imagine life without him. And so we got out of the tub. We ended up cutting the cord sooner than I had liked, but I, this time I was doing a placenta smoothie and capsules, um, with his, with his placenta. And so I know our midwives wanted to get that underway. And so we cut the cord probably 10 minutes after his birth. The placenta was already out. It was, the cord was white. It just wasn't, it wasn't the, the delayed physiological cord cutting, cord separation like ceremony per se that I really wanted I felt kind of rushed by our midwife a little bit um but we did that I got in bed my husband you know I got cleaned up my husband was able to take the baby downstairs so that everybody could see him again and and then we got in bed and we just sang him happy birthday and it was it was amazing so his birth was just incredible and it really it I've been a birth worker since 2016, but I took a hiatus when God asked me to lay it down in 2018. Um, And then now he has asked me to pick it back up and I've started attending births again and I've started putting Mm -hmm. together my own childbirth education course and stuff like that. And um, so this baby has really definitely reignited that spark and that flame. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, all my babies were born um at 39 weeks and one day except for my third who was born 39 weeks and three days and um breastfeeding has gone really well since my second baby with this one he latched on perfect he never lost any weight it did take him a couple of weeks to gain weight but he just stayed he was six pounds four ounces at birth so he was a tiny little peanut but my husband's family is all really tall and thin. Um, so it took him a couple of weeks to actually start gaining weight, but he never lost weight. He was nursing great. His output was great. He did end up having physiological jaundice for almost three weeks. I think it was, maybe it was only two weeks, but two to three weeks he had physiological jaundice and that was, that was anxiety ridden. I was really nervous about that. Our midwife 
wanted us to go into the hospital and I just felt very much that that was not the place for us. Um, and so I did a lot of prayer and I, you know, would ask very specifically, like, if this is a medical issue that we need to be seeking out medical help, please make that known. Otherwise, like make it known that we're on the right path and we can just stay home. And within a couple of days of praying that prayer, he started to clear up. And so we stayed home and breastfeeding has been great. He's 18 months old now and still nursing. Um, I pumped until he was 14 months old and with him, I donated, oh my gosh, what was it? It was like 20,000 ounces, 21,000 ounces with just his milk that I donated with him. Um, so that has all gone really good. My milk supply was always really good and my milk came in like, like not even... I wasn't even 40 week, 48 hours postpartum when my milk was coming in. Postpartum and depression, not as much. I had a lot of postpartum anxiety with him. I've had to do a lot of mineral repletion work and really working with my hormones. I think nursing and pumping as much as I was, because at one point I was pumping 60 to 65 ounces every single day on top of nursing him. And that really depleted my body. So I've had to do a lot of work with replenishing my minerals, healing my hormones and doing all of that. So that has really led me down to studying more with herbalism and working with an herbalist. And uh, it's just really accelerated my holistic lifestyle. So we're doing really good now. My anxiety levels have greatly decreased. Um, I had no tearing in any of my, oh, I, I will, let me back up. I had a little bit of tearing with my hospital VBAC cause I was pushing on my back. Um, but with my home births, I did not have any tearing because I was able to support my perineum on my own and push to my body's urges instead of being coached. And so I wasn't coached to just push through it. Like they, they said in the hospital, just push through the pain, push through the pain, um, that is some searing pain. So, and I didn't tear into my perineum. I actually tore up. Um, and so I tore into like my labia and stuff. And so I don't know, that was, it was not a good feeling, but, um, yeah. So postpartum has been great this time though. I've, you know, with my hormone issues, I've held on to some postpartum weight that is finally starting to come off and the anxiety and things like that. So yeah, that's my birth journey. It's a lot. Wow. I love that you, you know, you went from that first birth, you know, just the, the transformation that has happened, you know, between then and now, um, you know, to hear it so clearly in your journeys is just like so encouraging. Um, I love that with your, what was it? Your first VBAC, your, um, hospital VBAC, how you knew, like, you know, you were able to advocate for yourself and, you know, you knew what you wanted and you, what you didn't want. And, um, you were able to like speak up for yourself and, and do all the things. And, um, I think that that's, you know, super encouraging. And then I love with your, was it your third birth that they thought was the Accreta? Um, no, that was my, it? my fourth birth, fifth baby. Your fourth. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I love how you didn't just take that ultrasound as, you know, this is what you have to do, but you, you know, advocated for yourself again and you went and got the second opinion and you know especially like you know you went to God with it and you had that peace and um because a lot of times I think that a mom would hear that and just take that as oh no like this is my path this is my journey and you know that could have totally changed things changed the outcome oh for absolutely. You. But, absolutely yeah I love that you were you were able to, to do that and, and then have your, the birth that you were, 
you know, wanting, wanting in the first place during that pregnancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I just love, I, I mean, I, I don't love that women ever experience, you know, a negative birth or a birth where, you know, they are abused and assaulted in the system. Um, but a lot of times, you know, when it does spur them on to then have to like, okay, there's gotta be a different way. And then do that research and, and come out the other end of it to see that there can be good birth experiences in their future. But ultimately, you know, my heart, especially for this, this podcast is that women would hear these stories and know, like they can avoid all of that in the first place, <laughs> you know, just by really educating themselves and hearing these stories that like, okay, maybe I don't have to, you know, go through the, the trauma in order to then decide later on, okay, there's gotta be a better way, but to hear the traumatic stories and then know like, okay, I want to avoid that in the first place. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that, that your birth journeys are, you know, a testament to, to knowing that it is possible and we don't need to, we don't need to experience the trauma. We can hear other women's trauma and we can say, nope, <laughs> that's not what I want. And, and choose a journey, a path that's going to bring us to not have to carry that, you know? Agreed yeah. so much. I, I wish I would have known even half as much as I know now during my first pregnancy and birth. But, you know, I, I do say that each journey is going to, is necessary in different ways to mm -hmm. shape you and mold you into who you're supposed to become. Though... You know, I, I do feel like maybe if I had known that doulas were a thing back then or had access to resources like podcasts and, you know, physiological birth, childbirth education courses, because what I took was from the hospital. And what do they teach you? They teach you all the different kinds of tools yeah. that they use and <laughs> they teach you all the interventions and and when you need this, not if you need this. And so... Mm -hmm you're just basically groomed per se to believe that that's just the way it is and that these doctors and nurses hold authority over you and even with midwives I do know a lot of women who and I I was kind of there even with my my fourth birth where I felt very confident in my body that I felt like I could do it without a midwife being present but I still for a while there felt like this midwife held authority over me and of some such things as my blood pressure was a little bit too high or whatever, then my, this midwife could just be like, well, you need to go see an OB and go to the hospital. And, you know, so it, it did take me some time to grow into taking that responsibility and saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that your word holds all authority over yeah. every, every option. And so take that and go, okay, is there another way? And so it's really led me down to a path, like when I work with clients who, you know, whether I'm just coaching them through their pregnancy or I'm actually going to be one attending their birth, coaching or um, walking them through the, the steps to make very informed choices. Like I hear what you're saying, what are the benefits and the risks and the alternatives and what does my intuition say? And then mm -hmm. sometimes you just got to say, you know what, I need more time to think about this or not yeah. right now. And, and really applying that to any decision in your life. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I hope that there are many women out there who will hear these kinds of stories and think, oh my goodness, I don't want to experience that. So how, how do I learn what I need to learn and who do I need to walk alongside that can help yes. me learn these things and who can I elicit, you know, companionship and sisterhood into to help learn these things. And, and for women who are out there still trying to heal from their birth trauma, know that there is another way and there is a better way. And, you know, the ex past experiences do not dictate what your future experiences will be. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's, that's so powerful. You know, what you said, especially about like, who do I need to walk 
you know, with me in this journey, because I think that that's just so important. Even if, you know, some people don't have the option to find a super supportive OB or midwife and they have to do the journey by themselves and choose to go unassisted. And in that case, like, especially, I feel like it's so important to make sure you have, you know, a select few people that can, can really walk that journey with you and support you and, and encourage you. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, you're, you're choosing your, your provider is, Oh, it's so important, you know, so it's important. just so important and your, your support, your, your care team, you know, whoever that may yep. be, if you have a doula or a, a close friend or whatever, you know, it's just so important to make sure mm -hmm. that you have that team that's knows what you want and they're going to side with you and encourage you and support you and what you want. Because like what you just said is ultimately you are the ultimate authority in your birth yeah. and you are the one that should be, you know, taking responsibility for, for everything that's, you know, happening and is going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's us, we need to, to reclaim that power and to not look to, you know, X, Y, and Z for that, you know, authority over our, our birth journey, because ultimately, you know, we do need to take that responsibility. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's so much more empowering too, I think, to, to do that, you know, and then mm -hmm. when you experience, you know, that, that birth, that it's just, it's incredible. <laughs> it's just so incredible. It really is. And when you take that time, that's one of the first things that I work with a client shortly after they hire me is we go through questions to ask their care providers and, mm -hmm. and, and interview questions for midwives or OBs or whatever it is that they're seeking. But, you know, making sure that their care provider isn't going to gaslight you because that's what yes. that has happened to me as a care mm -hmm. provider gaslighting me. Oh yeah, I'll definitely support that. But then when it comes to push, you know, push comes to shove, they don't support that. Yeah. And, and then some women feel like it's too late to go somewhere else or to seek other care or just to go home and do it themselves essentially mm -hmm. with trusted women that will attend them. And yeah. so it's extremely important to have your birth team rightly ordered and on the same mm -hmm. page and, you know, trust what they're saying. And, but also know that even if a provider starts to show their true colors when you're 30 or 35 or even 36 or 37, I mean, even 39 weeks pregnant yeah. and suddenly they're, they're playing the bait and switch on you and you don't feel comfortable or safe with this person that you can find alternatives yes. and it's yeah. never too late to go mm -hmm. somewhere else and find someone else. Yeah. I wanted to mention that too, because that was part of your journey as well. And I, when you said it, I was thinking like, yes, like, you know, a lot of people don't know they can do that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's, yeah. A lot that's of women powerful. feel obligated. I mean, a lot of OBs are starting to bill for the births when you're still only in the first trimester. Yeah. They're like, here's, here's a payment plan for your birth. And so then these mm -hmm. women feel obligated to stay with this OB. And it's like, you're not obligated to stay anywhere. No. And, no. you know, so it's like, if you are not feeling at peace or you're feeling like God is calling you down a different path, then listen to that because yes. when we, when we don't listen to that, that's a lot of times when we end up reg with regrets mm -hmm. and, and then healing from different aspects of trauma after the fact, when we just slow down, take it to God, pray over it. And, and then make the decision that we feel led to make and that, you know, brings peace and balance, mm -hmm. then you know that you're, you're more or less on the right track Yeah, with the right totally. people. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So, um, as far as preparing for your births, you mentioned, um, Brooks, um, sister birth, um, her embrace birth journey and the trust, was it the trust God trust birth? Yes. Um, I've had her on the podcast. Um, she shared last year. Um, 
So you did that, and then you mentioned the Christian hypnobirthing. Was there anything else that you used to prepare for your births? Any resources that you want to share? Yeah, I read a lot of different books. I read the Natural Pregnancy book. Um, I forget the author of that one without looking. But And then I also read Heather Baker's Home Birth on Your Own Terms, mm. which... Honestly, I absolutely love that book, and I recommend it to everyone, whether they're having a hospital birth or yeah. a home birth. Like it is. Just I've such been a wanting good birth. to. Yeah, I've been wanting to read it's, that book. <laughs> it's such a good book. Um, I. Yeah, so those two books are what's standing out in my mind. I know I read other ones, and I'm for whatever reason those ones are blanking from me without looking, mm -hmm. and all my books are in the house right now. But, um, so yeah, taking Brooke's course was honestly pivotal for my journey, and um, reading those books and just really being open to learning, um, mm -hmm. and un and honestly, quite frankly, unlearning things that yeah. like the concepts because I. There's still like, even in my motherhood journey now, there's times where I'm like, oh my goodness, like, are herbs really going to cure this for my kid? Like, he's, you know, <laughs> I get like really nervous yeah. sometimes, like even with the jaundice with my, my fifth baby, I had never had a baby that had, I mean, honestly, my, my two summer babies, well, my August baby and my April baby never had jaundice at all. Mm -hmm. Um, both were breastfed, but we were outside in the sunshine a lot more. And, um, this baby was born at the end of January. And so it's cold here in Michigan and it's snowy and the sunshine is not very bright. And, um, you know, I had to do a lot of prayer and I did a ton of reading and sometimes all we need to just be able to take a deep breath and be confident in our decisions is just do some more reading. A lot yeah. of times that sets your mind at ease and, and knowing and educating myself about physiological jaundice, mm -hmm. listening to podcasts, reading other people's stories and things like that just gave me that confidence to stay home and know that he's going to be fine. It's just taking longer to clear up and it's not a big deal. It's actually a very, very good protective measure for him. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, reading and, and being open to learning new concepts, but also unlearning old concepts and, yeah. and, and being open to, you know, I honestly, throughout my entire labor with my last baby, I really did compare his birth a lot to my first home birth. And I was like, I feel like I'm not as peaceful or as calm in this birth as I was last time, which maybe some of that is because there was seven years difference. And so maybe some of those little details I've kind of softened around and maybe I don't remember them as vividly. Um, but there, I did compare my births a lot and, and raise my eyebrows like, Oh my gosh, like my water already broke. Like is something wrong? <laughs> like, <laughs> like there was like this level of panic that I couldn't understand. And, um, and I think it just really honestly came from just comparing those two births throughout the entire labor process. There was a lot of similarities. They were both, you know, around 24 hours long, which honestly is what I prayed for because that slow, steady building of birth allows me to get into that zone. And mm. I just, I really love the birth process so much that it is something that I like to experience for a long time. And instead of like, wham, bam, you're done. Thank yeah, you. I'm the, baby. I'm the same way. And I know it sounds like so weird. Cause it's like, why would you ever want like a long, hard birth? But yeah. I, I, I'm like that too. I want to like be fully engulfed in it and like experience it. I don't want yeah. it to just happen to me. I want to experience it. And Yep. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, so that's honestly, I, when I work with clients too, I tell them that your education is going to be the most valuable aspect of your pregnancy and birth journey, that it is the most important aspect um, to just read all the books and listen to the podcasts and take an out of the system childbirth education course. Um, and so it, you know, that is, that is one of my biggest pieces of advice as someone is preparing, even for conception. If you know that you want to get pregnant, you know, within the next six to 12 plus months, you know, preparing now, preparing your, 
your body with the right nutrition and mineral balance and, and all these things, preparing your mind and your body and your spirit for this journey is, is just going to allow you that space to take that responsibility and take back your power and, and being educated, you're less likely to be pushed around by your OB or even midwives. Cause yeah. unfortunately with, with the rolling out of licensing and all of that, midwives are being regulated by the state and they're being told what they can and cannot do and who they can and cannot attend. And so there are times that if you're not prepared or educated enough to stand your ground, you'll just kind of get pushed away, pushed around by your OBs, your midwives, or, you know, so educate yourself, take, take what they say. And I even tell my clients this too, when they're asking me for um, guidance and things, I always say, don't take my word for it. Never, ever take my word as the gold standard. Take what I say and go do your own reading, go do your own research and see how it all lines up and resonates with you. Yes. And, you know, so whatever your OB or your midwife might say, their their word is not the end all be all. They might, your OB might label you high risk. Their label is not the end all be all. Yeah. And so, you know, just that is my biggest, biggest piece of advice for any woman who is, you know, wanting to get pregnant, is pregnant and preparing for birth is don't be afraid of the education immerse mm-hmm. yourself into it allow yourself that that capacity and margin in your day to do some studying each yeah. and every day as you prepare mm-hmm. yep yep so you answered my question last question before i asked it so thanks <laughs> thanks for that uh, but yeah so do you have anything else that you want to share i know birth is Something that we could probably talk about for hours, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I think, I think I've shared everything that I wanted to share and, um, given a pretty good description of each of my very different births. Uh (laughs) So, um, I look forward to hopefully number six will come along in a couple of years and I'll be able to Mm. kind of, you know, put put more of these pieces together as I am doing my own studies and um, working with clients more and, and that kind of stuff. So, so um, what about you? If, if somebody wanted to reach out, do you have virtual offerings or only like local? um, Do you only attend, you know, birth locally? So I have all kinds of different offerings, um, virtually and in person. And so I do virtual like birth coaching and in person birth coaching. So if someone is just looking for essentially a doula to walk through birth or through pregnancy with them, but they don't necessarily want a doula to attend their birth, then um, mm-hmm. I can do that. But I do I do in person um, birth work, birth keeper clients as well, but I limit it to one or two per year just because mm-hmm. I have five kids and childcare for yeah. five kids is hard. <laughs> but also I want to be able to give that very deep one-on-one um, connection with my clients the most attention that I can. Mm-hmm. And so I keep my client load pretty low, but I also do birth processing virtually. Um, and, uh, I'm also a health coach, so I can help with nutritional things for not pregnant women, pregnant women. Um, so no matter what your health goals might be, I can do nutritional counseling with that. So I have all kinds of different offerings. I do have a website. It's, um, wildandfreebirth.com. And so they can find me on my website. I'm on Facebook as Brandy Benson. Um, or my, my wild and free birth wellness Facebook page. And I'm on Instagram and I'm like all over the place. <laughs> so I love making new connections. And yeah, like I said, I, I do virtual stuff and in-person stuff. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that information. And we will also put it in the show notes. So if anyone needs an easier way to access you. (laughs) Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and your wisdom. And there were just so many beautiful gold nuggets in there that, that you shared that were just encouraging. And, um, yeah, I'm just grateful that 
you know, you've had the journeys that you've had and the things you've learned and you're able to pass that wisdom on to other women. It's just a beautiful, beautiful testimony. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. Well, thanks for offering the space for women to share. This is really, really awesome. I, a lot of women don't, don't realize that this kind of resource is available um, to, to share their birth stories. And so thank you for having this podcast and allowing women to share and having this as a resource for, for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that it makes a difference (laughs) and I couldn't do it without women like you. So, (laughs) well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you were encouraged in some way through this story. As a reminder, please rate and review our podcast and you can connect with us on social media at birth journeys podcast for more information or to share your own story. Please visit birth and fill out the brief questionnaire. See you next time.